0: Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Ominous Origins Podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at morbidlybeautiful.com. Go check out Morbidly Beautiful right now for your horror pop culture needs. They have everything from reviews, interviews, top ten lists, and, well, pretty much everything you've ever wanted. They also have a Black Friday sale for all their merch, so go check that out too if you're a big fan and want to rep your pride. Today's episode, however, is going to be a little bit shorter than usual. I kind of ran out of time this week, and for that I apologize. Some stuff came up, and, well, you know how that goes. But, fear not, it is going to be a two-parter. It's sort of a big case, and it's sort of something I really wanted to look into for quite a while now, so I figured now's as good a time as any. And we are back on a true crime kick. Of course, last week we looked at Peter Strumpf or Stube, or Stube, or Stub, or whatever. I swear I had never gotten more comments about the spelling of a name than this guy's, and every one of them told me different things. So, yeah. Luckily, today's story comes from Australia, and the names are a little less complicated for my unsophisticated Canadian tongue. But I digress. Today's tragedy comes from, as I said, Australia, and it happened in the 1960s. And it sadly involves the disappearance of children, so if that is a sensitive topic for you, you've been warned. This is the Wanda Beach Murders. Ominous, ominous. It is an adjective. It sounds like someone breathing. Um, It It may seem weird to say, but the 1960s was a tough time for kids in Australia, especially for those who like to frequent beaches. I really only say that because of a couple cases I'm familiar with around that time that involve, well, children. We have the case of the Beaumont kids, who come up in the Wanda Beach murders. In fact, I was going to cover that case last year, but my hard drive crashed with the script on it, and, well, I really can't be arsed to rewrite it but maybe one day. The longest short of that case is three kids went to a beach, and despite several eyewitness accounts, they were never seen again. It garnered national and international attention, yet it remains unsolved to this day. It truly is a heartbreaking case with a lot of grisly and gruesome details and a whole lot of mystery. But so is the Wanda Beach murders, so let's just start at the beginning. Wanda Beach, near... Cronulla, New South Wales, Australia, was a popular hangout for the Schmidt family, which was a rather large one, consisting of seven kids. Yes, seven. I can't imagine one, let alone seven, but to each their own. Being such a large family, it must have made for a complicated immigration, as the family arrived in Australia in 1958 from West Germany, Nevertheless, they all settled in and made a home for themselves in the sunny continent. I do just want to point out that while Australia does seem like paradise with beautiful coastal regions, gorgeous beaches, and a friendly population, it also is maybe the only place on the planet where everything, and I mean everything, wants to kill you, and can very well do so. Maybe it's a stereotype, but goddamn, from ants to probably fucking birds, to people, everything wants a piece of you. Anyway, as I mentioned, the Schmidt family had made a nice little home for themselves, eventually landing in Tamora before moving to Sydney after the family patriarch, Helmut, contracted Hodgkin's disease. But prior to that, the family made a habit of picnicking at Wanda Beach, and therefore the kids grew up with a fondness for the sandy beaches and vast waters that the beach provided. It became a gathering spot for the Schmidt kids and friends, Most notably, Marianne Schmidt. According to diary entries, Marianne and her friend and neighbor, Christine Sherrick, would frequent the beach on their own and even confessed in the private writings of their diaries that they had even kissed boys there. Surely it felt scandalous to a 16-year-old such as Marianne and a 15-year-old. Christine, oh, young love, when a kiss meant everything your heart was prime for the taking, to be cherished, broken and mended again. Sadly, for Marianne and Christine, they would never get the chance to experience all those emotions and events of growing up. The boy kissing event took place on January 1st, 1965. Ten days later, the kids took a train to Cronulla, transferring at Refren, and made their way to Wanda Beach. However, the weather conditions at the time were terrible. It was windy and rainy and all around miserable and naturally the beach was closed but the kids, which included Schmidt's four younger children, decided not to let that ruin their day. After all, they had made the trip by train and didn't want to waste a day. They arrived, according to travel records and accounts by the kids, around 11am and a short time later they made the walk down the road to a rock bluff where they took shelter and stashed their belongings. Remember, the beach was closed, so they had to find kind of a workaround. And despite the public beach being closed off, they still managed to go for a swim and have a picnic, even in what sounded like a hurricane. I'm not sure if it's important to note here, but Christine Sherrick did leave to go for a walk by herself at some point. I'm sure it'll lead to conspiracies that she was meeting somebody to arrange a kidnapping, but more likely she went off to go find a private place to pee or something. When she did return, the group decided to go on a little adventure and walk the sand hills behind the beach. It may not sound super exciting, but my granddad lives by a beach. And there's these awesome dunes that as a kid gave me hours of exploration and fun. Man, I kind of miss being a kid sometimes. As the group wandered, they eventually made their way near the Wanda Surf Club. I say near, but it was the closest landmark, I suppose. It was really like half a kilometer away and that was around 1 p.m. And at this point, the younger kids began to get sick and tired of the weather and just wanted to go home, which was a reasonable request. For one reason or another, the group left their stuff under the rocky bluffs where they swam and picnic. Well, I guess they didn't want to lug their stuff around on a hike, which would cause it to get wet and therefore heavier. There was nobody else around, so it made for a safe place to leave their stuff. That, and it was the 60s. And nothing ever bad happened in the 60s right peace and love and all that (laughs) yeah right marianne and christine said they would walk back alone to get the bags and that the younger kids should stay put in the shelter of the sand hills i guess the weather was getting worse by the minute however when christine and marianne left to get the bags they took off in the wrong direction going deeper into the sand hills When Peter, one of Marianne's younger brothers, spoke up, the girls apparently laughed it off and continued on. It was curious, but it could just be a case of misunderstanding of the situation by young Peter or even a case of misdirection by the teenage girls. Nevertheless, it was at that moment that Marianne and Christine were last seen. The kids remained hunkered beneath the safety of the sandhills for another four hours. Yes, four four hours in that terrible weather until 5 p.m. when they decided to head to the bluffs themselves to collect their bags, which were still there, which included Marianne and Christine's purses as well. It must have been a shock to see their stuff still there, but their sister and friend nowhere to be seen. I'm not sure if there were any signs they returned to the scene or not at all, but the kids caught the next train they could and arrived home around 8 p.m., By 8.30, the Sherrick grandmother filed a missing persons report on the two girls. It's important to know here that the Schmidt parents were in the hospital, so Mrs. Schmidt could undergo a fairly serious surgery. I also want to note here, no, I really want to drill it into everybody's head, that despite what popular media suggests and what you see on TV and in movies, you do not need to wait 24 hours to file a missing persons report. If somebody you know or love or whatever has been missing for any period of time and it's out of character for them especially, call the police. Seriously, those first few hours are so bloody important it's not funny. If you wait 24 hours and the person was abducted, they could be literally on the other side of the planet in some human trafficking scheme. Of course, that's the worst case scenario. But in a time like that, you have to prepare for the worst. I mean, if you prepare for the best case scenario, then you probably can't fix the worst. It's easier just to prepare. Nobody ever got in trouble for being too cautious. With that out of the way, the next morning, after the girls were last seen, a man by the name of Peter Smith was walking in the same area of the sand hills the kids were the day prior not far from the surf club, he discovered what he thought was a mannequin buried in the sand. However, when he swept away the sand, it wasn't a mannequin at all, but rather the body of a young girl. Police were called, and the investigation ramped up. That's where I'm going to leave it for this episode. Next week, we will go in to the investigation, the suspects, and the cause of death and everything you've been wanting to know about this case. Like I said, I know it was a short podcast, and I do apologize for that. As I mentioned at the start, a lot of things came up this week, and I just didn't have all the time I had originally planned set aside to sit down and write the rest of this script. But fret not, I will be prepared more so next week with a lot of juicy details. And as I said, a lot of this can be hearkened back to the Beaumont kids, There's some similarities, there are some overlaps, and maybe even a connection or two in terms of suspects. But, until then, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you did like what you heard, feel free to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts that allow reviews. You can also leave a review on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash horrorshots. Any five-star reviews will be read out on the show, so if you want to get a shout-out, that's the best way to do it. Also, I revamped, you could say, my Patreon page. I know, I know, I know. It's kind of begging for money, but uh, with the pandemic and all that, funds have been kind of hard to come by lately. Uh, I just discovered that I won't get my job back, at least until April. So if the government stops giving me money, then I'm kind of boned. So any little bit helps. The new updates include the music you hear in the episodes of the podcast, as well as some upcoming pictures and who knows what else. I'll keep updating as it goes on. There's also some merch on there as well for certain tiers. Uh, Follow me on social, on Twitter, at HorrorshotsProd, as in production. On Instagram, at OminousOriginsPod. Or as I said on Facebook earlier, Horror Shots on Facebook. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Like I said, I do apologize for the shortness of the episode. But until next week.